Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Communication Mixed Down. The show that takes a critical look at contemporary media. And explores the way we use communication to make sense of the world around us. From social media to citizen journalism. To the logo on the front of your favourite T-shirt. It's all part of the Communication Mixdown. Each week, Thursday, 6 to 6.30. Communication Mixdown. Cranking up. Right here on 3CR. That's us, Communication Mixdown, another edition. I'm John Langer. And I'm Jen Martin. And first, we'd like to thank everyone who donated to Communication Mixdown during the Radiothon. We made over our target. And for those who pledged the donations, um, get in now before the end of the financial year so you can hit that tax man with a lovely receipt. And, of course, there's still time to donate. There's always time to support 3CR. Okay, Jen. So you want to learn some stuff about how to gain, well, learn about stuff, and you want to gain some knowledge. And you know this is the era, well, we all know this is the era of fake news and alternative facts, and the people around you are telling you that this is the post-truth age. But you still have a feeling that good ideas might lead to good deeds. So you want to find some channels of communication that hold some truth value. Well... If you were a scientist, you might decide that reading the latest journal articles in your field might be the thing to do. And if you're a climate scientist, you'd be mighty interested in the latest findings in your area, given that the planet is might be on the cusp of a catastrophic cycle of global warming. Graham Redfern is a Brisbane-based environment journalist, and he's been investigating what actually gets published in some of these climate science journals and who's in charge of doing the editing and putting them out hello graham hi john how are you good i'm well thanks for being on communication mixdown hey thanks for having me here you've been doing some investigating of climate science publications and i want to start with the title of a paper because there's a bit of a backstory to this paper that needs explaining the paper's title is the refutation of the climate greenhouse theory and a proposal for a hopeful alternative. I want you to tell us a little bit about about this paper and the sorts of comments that have been received from climate scientists about this paper. Sure. Well, it it sounds grandiose, doesn't it? The refutation of the climate greenhouse theory and and a proposal for a hopeful alternative. And it appeared in a journal called Environment Pollution and Climate Change, uh, which, which again, sounds, sounds kind of pretty legitimate. Um, uh, unfortunately, that, that's kind of where the, um, where the legitimacy sort of ends. Um, uh, so uh, to, to go back a little bit, there is, um, it, it, in, in science publishing, there's, there's kind of a new phenomenon um, known as open access publishing. 
Um, and it, it's where, um, in short, uh, a scientist can kind of pay for their paper uh, to appear in a journal. But uh, part of that payment means that their, their paper um, is published, that it, it does get peer-reviewed, or, uh, it gets sent to other experts in the field who check it for accuracy and, uh, and, and make sure that it's, it's telling us something new. Uh, and this is a whole new field. Now, there's, there's, there's a company based in India called Omics. They claim to have more than 700 leading-edge peer-reviewed journals uh, but they're currently under investigation by the Federal Trade Commission in the United States for some de- deceptive practices. Now, Environment, Pollution and Climate Change is one of their journals. Mm. Uh, and this, the, the paper that we're talking about, the refutation of the climate greenhouse theory and a proposal for a hopeful alternative, well, um, if you know anything about climate science, you'd know that if somebody had managed to refute the climate greenhouse theory, there would be a Nobel Prize winging their way to that person uh, right now. Um, (laughs) Stephen Sherwood, who's the director of the Climate Change um, uh, Research Centre at the University of New South Wales, he had a look at the paper for me. Mm. He says it's basically uh, laughable, um, Mm. uh, riddled with unsupported, fantastic and or unintelligible claims. Mm. Mm. Um, Now... uh, we we kind of know a little bit more now about how this paper managed to get published when you look at the person who uh, is the editor-in-chief. It's, uh, just before, uh, Graham, yeah. just before you go on, tell us a bit more about this this um, publishing organization, which you mentioned is called mm. Omics. It's O O M I C S. Yeah, and what, yeah. What, what's, what is it and what's its publishing model? You, you mentioned open access. What, what's, what is this all about? Because people listening probably don't really know sure. enough about this. Well, it, um, the simple version of it is that if you're a scientist and want to get something published, then um, you would send your paper to uh, one of the omics journals and you would pay them some money. Five, six, seven, eight hundred dollars, depending on the uh, on on which journal it is, and you would see your paper published sometimes remarkably quickly. The peer review process in legitimate and uh, regular sort of traditional publishing journals can take anything between six and twelve months, mm. sometimes longer. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the papers that appear in these journals uh, manage to get uh, published within a couple of days. So basically, um, people people are paying the journal to get their material published. In some ways, it's, it's a bit like a vanity project. It's like self-publishing a very bad romance novel. Right. Um, now, that's not to say that the science that's contained in those papers is all bad. Um, but uh, the, the point is that the, the, the normal checks and balances, as far as the Federal Trade Commission in the United States is concerned, they have some serious questions about that. Now, this, this, this is important because... Getting, as a, if you're an academic or a research scientist, then there are two things that, that kind of you, want, you, you need to do regularly. One is to get your work published, and another is to go to, um, is to, go to academic conferences mm, and mm. be invited as a speaker. Um, and uh, interestingly, the uh, omics also offer um, uh, hundreds of conferences that they run every year, and I've also been doing some work hmm. to, to try and understand those conferences as well. Just before you go on with that, yeah. tell, tell us a bit about the, uh, you, ju- you were going to talk about the, uh, 
the publisher, uh, the I was, person that, yeah, the, yeah. The editor-in-chief is a gentleman called Arthur Vitorito, who's a recently retired geography teacher from... Um, uh, uh, from the United States, but he's also sort of associated with a group called the Heartland Institute. Um, and he told me in for my story that he doesn't get he says he doesn't get paid by Heartland, but he he helps them uh, to do um, to do some of their uh, their uh, I would call it pseudo scientific research that claims that the human caused climate change is a load of bunk. Um, they're they're a, a very well known organisation. Uh, in the United States, they're known for their climate science mm. denial, um, and um, uh, it, his his association with Heartland would 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 uh, send off alarm bells for for any legitimate climate scientist anywhere in the world, and indeed the ones that I spoke to about this paper were were, um, were, were all quite concerned. Um, uh, is- a, couple, a couple of them said, you know that. Um, if you were going to publish in the in an omics journal, they claim, then then you basically you know you, you're saying goodbye to your reputation as a as as a solid scientist. And is this the, this is the in in Australia does is that what you're talking about? Do hmm. people have that view in Australia? You mentioned someone already, an academic who's who's uh, criticised this greenhouse theory paper. Is this more or less? pretty much what's going on here as well um well um the, the this journal is, is based in india there is some uh, awareness of uh, that these out uh, these some call them predatory journals that that they exist mm. um uh Omics has a lot of journals, as I've already said. They have a lot of people who, uh, according to the website of Omics, are on their editorial boards. But the Federal Trade Commission is um, is suggesting that um, many of those, some of those academics on those boards, actually don't even know their names are on there, hmm. Um, hmm. or or have had kind of minimal contact with the journal and don't really do anything for the journal at all. But their name continues to appear on the website. And that's something that I found when I was investigating this the, the conference that um, that they're they're hoping to hold in Rome, a world climate conference in Rome later this year. Mm. Um, I I I basically uh, uncovered I I discovered that um, a, a group of of climate science deniers, quite a, extremely a very fringe group actually, um, that that completely dismiss the, the science of human-caused climate change. I basically hijacked this conference in Rome later this year, um, and they, um, they were trying to kind of run a, a mirror conference to one that they, they ran in London uh, last year um, with many of the same speakers. Um, and omics was claiming that that there were representatives from the world meteorological organization which is a un body and the european space agency and the european environment agency um omics was claiming the individuals mm. involved in this conference when i contacted those agencies um and and asked them about that both the wmo and the european environment agency um uh, issued statements to me basically distancing themselves from the conference and saying that they mm. never really had anything to do with it in the first place mm, mm. um uh, but the 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 worrying aspect of this for me was that the the conference 
there were people from all all different parts of the world, many from from uh, quite um, from developing countries um, in Africa, South America, who would obviously these these um, academics would have been stumping up money to to mm. visit Rome to go to this conference, mm. expecting um, a uh, to, to to meet world leading experts, only to be presented with people like mm. Lord Christopher Monckton, who thinks ah. that climate science is a yes. A global con- conspiracy yes. to 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 bring a world of socialism on on uh, yes. on governments yes, around I'm, the world. I, yeah, I'm familiar with Moncton. He seems to be a shortcut to helping people to understand what's going on with these conferences. He's probably one of the best known uh, climate science denialists. He's toured Aus- Australia several times mm. um, on one a, a couple of occasions with the backing of Gina Reinhart. Yes, look, that was, in fact, we've got to wind it up, but what I was going to ask you finally is, Mm. this is all a bit of, let's call it, you know, talking about a a lot of, a bunch of geeks and wonks and so on, but what if somebody says, well, why should I care, ordinary folks, why should I care about this, what's it got to do with me? Because um, peer-reviewed publications uh, uh, they're they're not perfect, but they're pretty much the gold standard for where you would get solid information from. So uh, if you were not on your guard and somebody said, "Here, look at this paper," it completely dismisses human caused climate change. It's published in a journal and it and it was peer reviewed. Uh, you might scratch your head. Um, uh, climate science deniers have been accused correctly of not being able to get their material into peer, into proper peer review journals. And here we have a way to kind of circumvent that mm. process. Um, and and it would be it would be difficult for uh, for a lot of people to be able to un- unravel and and mm. pick apart mm. those strands to understand what's actually going on. Mm. Um, peer review journals are the place where you need to go to get solid information but uh, we now have this emerging sort of economy here where um, you've got essentially what have been described to me as kind of pseudoscience journals that are really only there uh, to to uh, to generate some income for the publisher and that's uh, that that lack of rigor is is kind of being taken advantage of by by climate science deniers Look, we're going to have to leave it there, Graham, but I want to thank you so much for being on Communication Mixdown, and we'll get back to you and talk more about these uh, kinds of journals and also this misinformation that uh, perhaps gets published uh, and put out there around climate science. So thanks for being on Communication Mixdown. Thanks, John. Graham Redfern, and he's a Brisbane-based environmental journalist, and you can find more about the sorts of things that he writes. He blogs at www.redfearn, and we'll put that on our web page back in a moment. Wondering how you pay your donation to the 3CR Radiothon? Well, you can do so online at www.3cr.org.au or call us with your credit card details on 94198377. You can also come into the station at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy, during office hours and pay by cash, cheque or FPOS. Or simply post your cheque or money order to PO Box 1277 Collingwood 3066 and be sure to tell us which program you'd like your donation to go to.
continuing communication mixdowns eternal search for the meaning behind the message, today's guest is talking about why she has serious reservations about the very vehicle many of us, from your neighbour, your friends, your favourite podcast, and let's not forget big business and government, choose to get their meaning across. The narrative, the story, the tale well told. Maria Tamarkan is a writer and cultural historian who warns against an almost epidemic acceptance of storytelling as truth. Maria, welcome to Communication Mixdown. I think she's there. Whoops. <laughs> Bring down the cup man. Bring it to its heel. The seventh annual Melbourne Anarchist Book Fair is on Saturday, August the 12th from 10am to 6pm. The book fair showcases more than 40 stalls and a program of workshops. It's a great opportunity to be introduced to new ideas, to challenge your thinking and to meet with like-minded folk. It's free and we also provide free childcare. At the Brunswick Town Hall on Saturday, August the 12th from 10am till 6pm. Find out more at www.amelbournebookfair.org or find us on Facebook, the Melbourne Anarchist Book Fair. Wondering how you pay your donation to the 3CR Radiothon? Well, you can do so online at www.3cr.org.au or call us with your credit card details on 9419 8377. You can also come into the station at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy during office hours and pay by cash, cheque or FPOS. Or simply post your cheque or money order to PO Box 1277 Collingwood 3066 and be sure to tell us which program you'd like your donation to go to. And we're back. Well, I can tell you what bothers me about technology, but why don't we talk to today's guest, Maria Tamarkin, about what irks you, Maria, about storytelling? Uh, well, uh, first of all, thank you so much for a fantastic intro. I really enjoyed <laughs> it and I heard every word of it. Um, look, I, I feel, uh, I, I mean, I'm a writer and I should say that I do think that narrative is uniquely powerful um, and can get to the heart of who we are as human beings. But as you say, Jen, we do have a kind of a, a very particular cultural moment in which we seem to be completely persuaded um, that narrative is, is the answer to um, just about every question, you know, who we are as human beings, what makes us tick, what makes us come together as communities and nations. Um, you know, writers are uh, uh, introduced as storytellers. Architects are storytellers too. Apparently they're not building our uh, environment. They are telling a story about how we inhabit spaces. When politicians fail, we talk about, you know, the failure of the narrative. Uh, teachers are supposed to be telling stories and engaging young minds. And, of course, journalists are kind of constantly forced, and I think that's, that's a real problem and something perhaps we may have the time to talk about. Journalists are being told that pretty much the only way that they can communicate really important information and provide kind of analysis and reflection, um, you know, the only way to do it is through kind of telling compelling and engaging stories that will kind of, you know, target the... Um, hearts of the public and um, get them listening and get them um, feeling kind of strong emotions. So I, I do feel that this is really problematic. And also uh, the idea that everyone has a story to tell 
um, as well. That, that to me, is um, another kind of part of the puzzle that, that we need to be kind of thinking quite furiously about. Now, this, that's some really interesting points, Maria, and, and so much packed into that. Do you think the lines have, been, have become blurred between journalism and this narrative, this storytelling? Um, we can see it in the popularity of podcasts such as This American Life and Serial. Um, and what do you see as the problems of this of story as personal revelation style where the journalist, the storyteller, seems to become almost as much a star as the participants? Look, I, I, I understand the appeal. And I remember um, when I first listened to This American Life, I, initially, I loved it. You know, it felt so intimate. Uh, the voice of the journalist uh, felt very compelling. Uh, it felt addictive. And I think I, I do feel that there is a kind of addictive quality to it. When done well, you know, it can be um, really, you know, massively compelling. But I feel, and I, and I remember when I started kind of wondering about what was going on, because the moment... Um, a story was told about something that I actually knew something about, where I had some, you know, whether first-hand um, knowledge or some understanding of the material that they were covering. All of a sudden, I just could hear so many falsehoods, so many wrong facts that I started understanding that when something was packaged as a story, as a narrative, and when it was driven by by the narrative all sorts of things were happening, uh, things were perhaps inadvertently um, distorted. All sorts of things were actually not included. Um, and so that's um, when I started kind of noticing and, and asking questions. And then I remember this moment when I um, was listening to a debate or a conversation um, at an ideas festival where journalists were talking about why, you know, there was not uh, a you know, they, they were looking to understand the failure of, um, you know, their profession to produce a, a kind of massive shift in culture in relation to uh, global warming and climate change. You know, why have we failed to kind of change, you know, public perceptions in a, in a kind of profound and, you know, sustainable way? That was the question. And then one of the journalists said, well, if the public is not with us, it means we haven't told the story of global warming well enough. And when I heard that, I just, you know, it was just, you know, the penny dropped for me. And I just thought, no, 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 global warming cannot be reduced to a story. And if you mm-hmm. think about your uh, function as a journalist is to kind of tell it well, then something, you know, very seriously, seriously kind of problematic is happening here. Um, because, you know, when storytelling is the primary means of putting your ideas into the public sphere, you know, what happens to analysis? Mm. Evidence building, reflection, thought, debate, verification, all those things that we consider to be essential to quality journalism. You use that word verification and that is what professional journalism is based upon. It's referred to as a discipline of verification and facts aren't always simple and they're not always sexy. But I think, um, are you saying with this push for narrative that it's it's like this, this sugar hit, it's this desire to tie things up into a, a neat a neat ending and a package and life just isn't like that. Absolutely. I think that's what I'm saying and I think there is, you know, narrative uh, has an arc and er- narrative seeks to have a kind of satisfying conclusion. It moves to uh, a resolution, doesn't it, by, very, by right. definition? Yeah. 
And I think Ira Glass described it as, um, you know, the producer of This American Life described it as a kind of a, as a train rushing to some station, you know, to some point B, and that point B is that kind of redemptive or satisfying ending or a cliffhanger, um, if, if you like, but something that has very little to do with how life works. Um, and life is not, you know... Life, uh, human beings cannot be reduced to stories. Complex problems that we are facing um, as, you know, uh, in 2017 as a society, it cannot be uh, made to um, seem like they are a series of problems, a series, sorry, a series of stories. It's simply not true. And, and, uh, and, and I think what is, what is happening is that those journalists who are trying to kind of grapple with this really, really complex information and with the search for clarity and meaning and, as you say, with verification and evidence, they've been sidelined. They've been pressured to tell sexy stories and make it easy and um, make it compelling and seductive. Uh, And when they um, refuse the seductions of the narrative in their work when they say, no, I actually have to present this really complex information and I have to offer analysis and contemplation and reflection and I have to talk about evidence and facts and it cannot be packaged as a story. Um, you know, they, they are very much marginalised and pushed to the sidelines. Uh, and the same thing uh, happens to uh, public communicators from other areas, you know, um, like scientists. Yes, and politics. Oh, and politicians, yeah. Mm. You know, so that that is a huge problem, I think. It is. And Maria, I hate to push us to our own very untidy end and not tie (laughs) this up with a a beautiful bow, but time (laughs) has got away from us. But thank you for helping us to look behind the the storytelling trope so that um, our listeners can be a little bit more aware of just the power of narrative for good and for bad. So thank you for your time today. And thank you for your excellent questions, Jen. And that's it for Communication Mixdown for this week. We're here next Thursday, so tune back into us.